Welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker, Rob Nudds, my co-host, Alan Ben-Joseph, and the man and the face behind Time and Tide, Andrew McCutcheon. Thank you for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule to join us. <laughs> How are you doing? Thanks, Rob. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. I'm doing great. I'm... Uh... Looking at the Thames in London and, you know, closer to you guys than usual. <laughs> What's going on? You're in Europe. This is my new home. So, made the move, uh, did a, a trial period between January and May with the family here and went home for six weeks and got our house painted and floors sanded and dogs rehomed and cars sold and now I'm back a little bit ahead of the family permanently. So it's on. Oh, my word. What big news. I'm, I'm going to soon have a Peaky Blinders accent. So uh, you heard it first on the Real Time Show. Oi, that's what we like, a bit of an exclusive. So for our dear listeners, Andrew's from Down Under. He's the king of Australia, but now taking Europe <laughs> by storm. <laughs> Oh, boys. I feel like I'm coming out onto a UFC cage right now. Do I need some music <laughs> behind me as you, as you do this. Like, and I, I need a little bit more. No, you have the abs and the biceps for it. <laughs> I would get destroyed in a UFC ring, to be fair, but yeah. Not if you were fighting us. <laughs> True. Depends who I'm fighting. <laughs> but not Volkanovsky. Just keep me away from that guy. He's an animal. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Talking about rings, Rob, you forgot to introduce that Andrew now has a second brand together with his mates, George and Adrian, about effing time, which is booming like crazy. So, um, Andrew, run us through your background, where you're originally from. We know you're now relocated to London. Welcome to Europe. We're very happy to have you here. You have been most hospitable, alone, I have to say. One of the people that has uh, rolled out the red carpet. So, thank you for making it easy. Nothing from you, Rob, but... Um you know, I'd expect nothing, nothing whatsoever. Less. No, <laughs> <laughs> no cars, no flowers. Well, that's because you won't give me your address, and for damn good reason. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I live on the Thames. Just go, just go up and down. No, thank, thanks for the question, Alan. I am originally uh, from Melbourne, Australia. I was born in Melbourne, but uh, spent my childhood in the country, which I think was a good mix. At about right hitting puberty at thirteen, I moved to the big city. Uh, back to, to, I suppose, back to where I was born and spent my most of my early adult years in Melbourne and then started traveling really early because I, I was one of those kids that couldn't get out of the house soon enough. So I left home as soon as I could and took up as a travel writer, which was the way that I considered I could get free travel. So I um, started traveling early. My first love was from Switzerland and it wasn't a watch. It wasn't even a it had nothing to do with watchmaking, which is something I laugh about often. My first love was a, a girl in Zurich, Switzerland. So I came back and forth to Switzerland for 18 months trying to make the relationship work when I was like super young, 21 or 22. And then I thought, you know what? I'm done with Switzerland. I'm done with her. I'm never going to go back to Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you tempt the gods, don't you? you with these silly <laughs> things you say. And then lo and behold, because I said, this could never work. I could never have a reason to come to Switzerland this often. And then uh, 20 years later, I, I think about that at least once a week, how funny that is. But yeah, it's uh, turned into a, something all-consuming and, and starting a bad effing time has only added to that. <laughs> Whatever little bandwidth was left in my life that wasn't taken up by, by thinking about watches was quickly 
consumed by this, yeah, this pal's chin wagging that has, uh, yep, just taken on its own life, I guess. it's you, you never get to choose which one of your ideas works. And I've had so many that I wanted to work that didn't. And this was one that probably was the least invested I was in anything. It was just fun. And yeah, here we are. It's a, We just ticked over 50K subscribers on our last live stream, which honestly makes me a little bit salty because it took so long to build that number for Time and Tide. And for about having time, it's just, it was, I think it took 10 times less time uh, to build that for about having time. So I guess, like you said, you you don't get to pick which works. That's hardly surprising though, because I mean, you know, uh, it snowballed your career and your presence in the industry and Time and Tides, I'd love to hear about the early days of that, how difficult it was to establish a foothold in a time when I think a lot of watch brands were still looking at online media as like new media and with a bit of suspicion and maybe didn't like give you as much support in the early days as you could have done with to get it really rolling. But now, I mean, Time and Tide is one of the biggest media outlets in the world, one of the most trusted watch media aficionado sites going and you teamed up with George Bamford and Adrian Barker. And I mean, it's a dream team. So many. <laughs> it's a bit of a wings, isn't it? A bit of a, I don't know, it is. a bit of a, a group of different pl- players from different bands all together, you know? Yeah. The traveling Wilburys of watchmaking or however you yeah. want to call it. I'm happy so. for that. As long as I actually, who would I want to be out of that mix? I will. T- I think I'd take Bob. I don't know. It'd be fun to break that down. People are always saying, which one's the Hammond Clarkson and May, but I'd rather, I'd rather profile us according to the Trailing Wilburys. Tom Petty, who was it? Tom Petty, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, one other guy. Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Sorry, that Roy. That could be George. They've got the glasses, <laughs> you know, the big glasses. That work. But, I, I mean, so many different watch media outlets have said in the past, I know this firsthand, that they wanted to be the top gear of watchmaking. And it was all just lip service until about effing time came along. Have they really said that? Uh, we said it at Fratello all the time. That was kind of our shtick. We were like, okay, we want to be really? like, you know, the everyman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's and I've, I've heard it from other outlets as well with this idea that they were doing that. But when you finally launched about effing time, it became very apparent that nobody had really done it. And now you had done it and it was perfect and it worked and it was a format that we all wanted. And I mean, I know it must be a bit hard to swallow that it took so long for time and tide to get to the level at about effing time has done so swiftly, but it's no wonder. I mean, you hit the ground running, the format was perfect. The concept was great. The branding was superb and you do have a great dynamic together. I mean, George is there, so I mean, it's difficult, but whatever. He's got his own. No, we, we, we all tolerate each other. Actually, I, I apologize to the guys in my post I just did because I was feeling a little, honestly, a little spun out to, at the pace of how the show has become a thing, which has its own challenges because it's a little bit like when you're dating someone early and there's that infatuation and there's no limit and there's no, there's no, there's, you could be anything in the world. And then you start having to decide what you are going to be and what rules you put on that. And it's it's exactly the same process with about having time. But uh, I apologize to the guys in this post today just saying only through watching the show have I come to appreciate what a handful I am. <laughs> person. <laughs> the self-awareness I thought was okay, but then I watched the show I'm like, man, yeah, that's uh, that's – that's a handful right there. So it's it's been a quite a, a process for all of us to, and and not always easy, definitely. But uh, you've said a lot of kind things in the last few minutes, Rob. I just want to stop and and thank you for that. You know, thank you for the um, 
those kind words about time and tide and about about effing time. But uh, I think that the it's it's a big cliche to say this, but we didn't set out to be the Top Gear for watches. We had we just wanted to keep hanging out, and you know the the start, the origin of about effing time is is also just so dumb luck. Like Marcus was filming me doing a typical time and tired piece of camera thing. George and Adrian arrive at the exact same point that I'm doing my piece of camera at from different directions. And I'm at that point, and you guys are going to be able to picture this, at Watches and Wonders outside the uh, Rolex booth. Yeah. You know that that crossroads there where there's a lot of people coming in from the, the main entrance and then you've got Rolex there and then you've got Patek opposite. You know that spot there? Yeah. So I'm standing there. George comes from the Patek side. Adrian comes from the Tudor side, which is next to Rolex, and we all meet in the middle. It's like, oh, hey, big kind of group hug because there's a lot of – there's a lot of love between us already. So this wasn't a z- starting at zero. Like I'm not going to pretend that we were Jenny from the block who never met each other and all that nonsense. Like we we were very aware of each other. I, I actually – approached Adrian on his like second video and said, dude, you are talent. Please be my Time and Tide UK editor, which he declined. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he went on to, he was so heartened by the confidence that gave him that he quit his job the next day or something mythological, whether it was the next week or whatever. But it gave him, he said, if, if a site that's as known as Time and Tide wants me to be their editor, then maybe I should quit my day job. So I compelled him to become Bark and Jack. I created an enemy, basically. Nice. It's a fun thing to learn afterwards. But George and I had had connected through the pandemic. And so we knew each other, but then there was a group hug. We did this piece of camera that had this crazy weird energy to it where – and I, there's I've never talked about this explicitly, but – there is a moment where about effing time is born and it's on that video and it's where I say to Marcus, hey, Marcus, just start filming. And then I say, and over to you, Adrian, to host the show. And Adrian takes, there's a split second where he's like, fuck. And then he just goes into Adrian Barker mode and I stand there. You can see my face. I'm like, holy shit. This is the best experience ever for the for someone who's always having to host, always having to make conversation, always having to interview, having Adrian take it away and then watch what happens from there. After that, George was like a guy that had been on a good date and couldn't wait two days to text. <laughs> After that, <laughs> he, text, he texted both of us and said, we should do that again. And that's how it started. We, we were both just like, yes, we should. And uh, we had no intentions of being Top Gear. We had no intentions of anything. We just, uh, we kind of craved that energy again of just like the three of us going at it. And uh, we haven't lost the, haven't lost the, the craving. And it's now a year. So I guess we're still going out. Well, I guess maybe that's the root of your success because there's no contrition in the plan. And you didn't start out with this roadmap of what you were going to achieve at six months, 12 months, 18 months, but now you've had such incredible success, which as you said, is in some ways hard to deal with and hard to get your head around because it's happened so quickly. Have you been forced to take a step back and think, okay, well, what are we going to do with this beast that we've created? How are we going to, you know, sail this ship home? hundred percent. And that's where the, <laughs> that's where we've, we've hit some rough waters because we are so good at what we do, which is just, as in we so enjoy 
what the, the fun part, which is the on-camera part. But it's like being in a band where the on, any musician will tell you that they love touring, but the only part of it they love is is on stage. And there's so much else to do behind the scenes, and that's been the hard part. And also, we set a really high production bar in season one. Yeah, Marcus, our producer's just been. Marcus, and he's a co-owner. He owns twenty-five percent of the of the show. So we consider Marcus our director and um, videographer and creative director to be so critical to about a thing time that he's on our live streams, and he's a co-owner of the business. So he set such a high bar that we had to immediately seek financial support for the show because it, it was costing six figures to do a season. So it's been an expensive show to produce. I'm giving you all the juice here. I actually listened to an interview with Ben Clymer once when in the early days of Hadinki and he just spilled on all of the the behind the scenes, the numbers. And I was so impressed by that, honestly. So I'm, I'm going to serve back to you, Ben. Um, about a thing time is a monster to create. It's so expensive. It's so logistically challenging. It's so uh, it, managing our schedules alone is a nightmare. So I'm not going to say the Traveling Wilburys, I'm not going to ruin the love of the music by talking about the behind the scenes stuff but we've had lots of real moments for sure you said that it's rather salty that it grew so rapidly uh, compared to the curve of growth for <laughs> time and tide but if you think about it without your success and quality you've delivered with time and tide you would never have this ramp up and obviously it's the three of you so it's rather logical now would you say you're slowly becoming a victim of your success and what does this mean for your personal life and for time and tide that about effing time is growing so rapidly which i'm happy for you guys and congratulations because you're doing something cool and it's something new can you be more specific about um in what way am i being a victim because that, that victimhood mentality you're going into a you're going into an interesting mindset space here because that is that's that's where i i don't ever want to be in any aspect of my life so uh be more specific and i'll give you a straight answer you're an amazing father um, I know you also have or had a medium, a, a media outlet called the Fatherhood. If I don't correct, and thank you again, Elon. You're such a great dude. You were as soon as you saw that, you were onto me, going, "I love this. This is so great." And we talked about that on another live stream. So uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, that that was a, a venture that I had to withdraw from. And this is an example of, I guess, the, the disease all three of us on air now have. We're very passionate. We love what we do. We're bubbling with ideas and we execute. But the, the downside of that is we lack even more sleep and we don't have enough hours in a day. <laughs> so um, I guess you moved to London also because I know you always wanted world domination with Time and Tide which you will succeed or you already succeeded at now and is about effing time also a reason I push to come to London? 100%. And you've asked me a really deep question and, and I want to go there with, with each of you as well because I want to hear how how much of yourselves you're willing to, to barter with because that's the question you have to ask. And again, in the spirit of complete honesty, I'm willing to barter with just about everything I've got right now because – I put 10 years of my life into Time and Tide. We are reaching the point. We're beginning to reach the point. And you will see in the next six months the materialization of a lot of dreams of mine that have taken a decade to build. So I am all in on Time and Tide. And 
the growth curve we've hit in the last two years, even though I'm, I'm salty about the fact that <laughs> about a thing time hit 50 in like nine months or whatever and time and tide probably took six years or something like that. Um, but certainly the, the rate of change has been a lot more rapid for the last couple of years. Uh, so I'm basically in terms of how much of myself am I prepared to, how much of my time am I prepared to, to bet on and barter with for, for the business and for, because to me, time and tide and about everything time, it's part of the same mission, which is to, uh, and even my individual Instagram account, which I've only just made public in the last, I think, two or three months before that, I kept it private because I, I had this mentality that I could keep parts of my life separate. I could demarcate them. I could have like a bento box situation <laughs> where I had <laughs> time and tide here, the fatherhood, which was my dad platform here with my two mates uh, and then my family here my fitness here all in a bento box but that's not how life works and that's not how success works you have to be you have to find a way to to integrate the things in your life and and then you can I think you can be more powerful in each of the missions so an example there would be uh, I brought my wife to Europe last year October November she came to the GPHG with me. Uh, she came to some trips with me. She came to some manufacturer visits, all the things. And I wanted her to see what it was like on the inside of the machine because she, like everybody else, was watching Andrew and the fabulousness on Instagram and thinking that I was just living the dream. And after that trip, she was like, okay. And I said to her, I'm thinking we should move so that I can have more time with the family and travel less. And so that I can go even harder with both businesses, but I'm only going to do it if you want to do it. So she came with me on the trip and it really was, I put my life in her hands. I said, you tell me what you think after this, whatever it was, 10 days. And, and I'm just, I'm exhausted <laughs> and I'm just going to do whatever you say at this point. So she came on the trip and at the end of it, she'd sat next to, I think she spent some time with Frederick. I know at the GPHG, we, we had a really great table with Tag Heuer there. So she got to spend some time with Frederick and she got to spend some time with Christian Hagen and other, and all the watch media and the press and everyone talking to her over that period and the brands talking to her. At the end of it, she said, let's go, let's go together. Let's, let's make this happen together. I debentoed my life. <laughs> I put her into my life so that we could look at it together. And since then, everything's a team decision instead of an Andrew decision and life is much better. It is incredible to have that level of support. And I think it was a very, very wise decision. And also, of course, a bit of a risk to take her and show her behind the scenes so she could see that all of the glossy end product that ends up on Instagram. You know how it is, Rob. Like, I'm sure your friends and family are always like, oh, here's the rock star. Meanwhile, you're like, you know, you don't want to be the guy that cries poor, but it's not exactly what it looks. I mean, they normally call me the dickhead to my face, but I'm sure they call me rock star behind my back. But like, um, <laughs> or the other uh, way around. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, but it's true, right? Okay, so people think, oh, he's living the life of Riley. He's off here. We, you know, you were in Mykonos the other day for your mega launch. I saw that. Wasn't jealous at all. Nice work breaking into a gym on the weekends, by the way. <laughs> Very honest to post about that. I risked life on to do that. <laughs> it, it was hilarious and also just, you know, very... <laughs> Andrew, and I think that's the thing that has become very apparent to me in the last year, I suppose, since about effing time and the revelation of the Instagram account and the, the willingness it seems that you have now to sort of really put everything out there about yourself, which takes 
a great deal of strength and trust. And it's a gamble, obviously, emotionally as well. Um, and it looks easy from the outside when people see the Instagram. But as you rightly said, we know what it's like behind the curtain. We know that there's a lot of grind that goes into it, a lot of uh, sleep deprivation, a lot of travel, a lot of emotional sacrifices, especially with those nearest and dearest to us. So to have your wife's support, to be able to like establish a new base, closer to all the stuff that you need to be close to, to really get the most out of the manifestation of this decade of effort that you've poured into these dreams and to see where it will take you is just wonderful. But kudos to you for actually, you know, taking the leap, moving across the world, taking your family with you and just pushing all in on whatever dream it is that's going to blow up next. So well done, man. Robert, don't have a plan B. I can't accept that compliment because I don't have a plan B. But I think that's the compliment. That's the compliment I'm making is that you don't. <laughs> if I can't make this work, <laughs> I'm I'm done. I'm cooked. I, I don't know. I, I don't have any con- conception of what, like I know that a lot of people, Justin Hast and other very talented journalists and communicators go brand side or start to work brand side. I, I can't even consider what I would, because I just don't want to do anything apart from what I'm doing. And I think about it, I think times made me even more aware that having a proper unfiltered voice in this industry is just a joy. Oh my Lord, have I fallen back in love with my job? You, you would not believe it. I've had moments of over the last 10 years and Adrian and I have connected over this, Adrian Barker and I have often connected with, with a real cynical kind of, I'm done, I'm weary, I'm burnt out, I'm sick of this nonsense. This game is just is set against us it's just you know we've had so many moments of despair but i think the most joyous thing has been finding a platform that can exist somehow without being cancelled by the industry uh that allows us to be us and uh it's that's been the savior of me and really i think the it has been like a a drink stand at a marathon when there hadn't ever been one before it just appeared Mm. and i've just had liters of Gatorade (laughs) and I'm ready to go (laughs) because it's given me such a refreshed uh, view and it's given me confidence to to be me more and just to just to give zero f's about it to be honest it's uh yeah it's been rewarded the the whole point about just speaking more honestly and candidly and the reason I didn't is because like all journalists in the watch industry, especially those that are working with brands directly, it's it's it often ends in in tears. So uh, we're on a good streak, and who knows how long it'll last. <laughs> well, I think you've made the right decision to put all your eggs into this basket because the basket is looking pretty robust right now. I mean, you yourself have become almost a brand amongst brands, and that's a very interesting position for you to be in. And I, I guess maybe an interesting route to navigate as you go forward because you are still the face and founder of time and tide and also now one of the co-founders of about effing time and you are andrew mccutcheon i mean on your own we saw adrian change his name back from bark and jack to adrian barker probably for a good reason because it is interesting but i think this is an era not influencers that does you a disservice a manfluencer maybe given the target demographic but we are like looking <laughs> at like these <laughs> these manfluencers with incredible individual power and that ability maybe to speak your mind and the thing that has reinvigorated you and been the oasis in the desert has is like and you guys must have felt that too right i've because I've, I've been keeping tabs oh. on the show and congratulations on your success too like forty thousand downloads a month you know the fact that you've you're always tweaking the 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 
the content strategy, the ideas that you're putting forward, the articles, like you guys are, I'm really impressed by the, what you put together here and you must feel the same. Well, I don't want to assume, but do you, have you been invigorated by the way that you're carving out a voice? Yeah, I mean, it's an understatement to say the least. Now, I'm I'm not doing calisthenics routines on Mykonos on Sunday and having the abs to post on Instagram so nobody's seeing it, but I feel like that kind of Adonis <laughs> on the inside. There are plenty of ways to, to skin a cat, my friend. There's, you've got like vintage cars and shit. Like, um, um, everyone's got their thing. Yeah, true, true. And I have really enjoyed it. It has given me a shot in the arm. I mean, it's I've been in watchmaking for 20 years and not all of it has been in any way glamorous. I'd say the last eight or nine years for me has been sort of the same kind of world in which you've been living in also like with the travel and meeting all the brands and getting to know how things work behind the scenes. And there has been moments of cynicism, uh, certainly when I've been doing the same job for a long time and not had the power to do exactly what I want and how I want to do it or to listen to the market forces that I think are being ignored, which I think is the greatest joy of my career thus far, being able to do that with a real-time show, being very connected to the community we've created, listening to them and not just like, not taking their feedback exactly at face value, but then trying to work it into like the grander plan of what we wanted to do when we started the show and to create a, a force for good in the watchmaking industry and another channel that is able to be open and honest as you are able to be with about effing time and your own voice. And yeah, it is It is really refreshing and it is the salve to a wound that was starting to fester. But <laughs> let's, uh, let's be positive. It's similar. It's really quite a similar thing, isn't it? Like it's uh, it's given you the same shot in the arm it has me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I haven't relocated for it deliberately, but being bang slap in the center of Europe now, I just feel like no, everything has accidentally to. come together. <laughs> no, it's, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. The weather's too hot. How are you finding the English weather, by the way? I'm impressed by it, to be honest. I, I think the whinging palms everywhere saying how hot it is. It just, I just, I don't get the English, right? They complain about it being too cold and then they get a perfect day. And, and they're all, I go into every shop and they're like, oh, hot in it. I'm like, it's summer. Like, isn't this what you talk, what you say you want all year? Anyway, I, so I've been impressed so far and I've been at Wimbledon the last two days and I'm going again today and it hasn't rained once on the days that I've gone. So uh, I know that it rained earlier or it rained last week, but uh, I, I'm feeling on a real lucky streak right now because I think I'm going to get three days at Wimbledon without a rain break. So um, I'm impressed. Thanks, London. Maybe you're bringing that Aussie energy with you. So Tell me about this, right? You've been for the last couple of years, and I'm very interested in this from a real-time show perspective as well, to be honest, because we've also been talking about how to bring in enough funds to keep the show going and growing without sacrificing our voice. And you touched upon it very candidly before about this tug of war that always exists with watch media and watch brands. You know, How do you actually support your own channel without sacrificing the freedom to say what you want? You have done quite a few collaborations, watch collaborations with brands now under the Time and Tide label. And how was that? What was it that inspired you to go into that? And would you like to do more of it? And what are the challenges and joys of it? <laughs> the challenges are just the sleepless nights on the day it drops and you realize the company's fucked if it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Let me jump straight to the challenge because I know the joys are what you expected to talk about. But we're talking about how we're going to fund the next edition. And I just got off the phone before this call with my CFO. He's like, I said, so what are your ideas? And he said, for this amount of money, I have no ideas. So it continues to be massively challenging to do because everyone sees, oh, wow, you know, this this brand's done a collaboration with 
X big box brand, but that immediately just begs the question of, well, how the hell do you get that much money? Because we're buying these watches at wholesale mm-hmm. and, and we're not getting retailer wholesale. You're getting 40%, not 65 or 60 or 55 or 50. So the, the numbers are much, much leaner for, for a collaboration in my experience, or maybe I'm just getting ripped off. I don't know. <laughs> but um, the challenges are very much around financing a piece if you don't have um, capital. And as a media business, we do not have seven figures of capital sitting anywhere mm. um, unless mm. my CFO is embezzling money from me, which is not possible because because he's one of my best friends, actually. I, I won't even be pithy about that. <laughs> he's, a, he's someone I trust 100%. So uh, the joys are that you get to be – it's like total super fan dream. It's like fantasy football where you, your team actually exists. It's, it's crazy. Mm. Like – the Night Surfer, I was like, I just think the Defy Classic is so underrated. Uh, I would just think I would love to see it, though, in, in micro-blasted because at that point, Zenith had made so few micro-blasted titanium watches and all of them were just sexy, The like the edge of space. Uh, mm. there, there were so few at that time and to effectively as a super fan or a fantasy football guy go to the brand and say, hey, what if I took X player and X player and X player and X player, which was micro-busted titanium, liquid gradient blue dial, skeletonized, um, first ever micro-busted titanium bracelet. What if I put all these things together? And when they said, yeah, that'd work, that, that would work well. And then suddenly they were kind of started tinkering with their prototypes and renders and yeah, that, that was just, so the joys are very extreme but the challenges are very material and and real and they i imagine you know there's a there's a really high barrier to entry to to watch media that want to do these things because you just need so much funding and unless you want to spend your life chasing benefactors and vc funds and all of that stuff it it's quite limiting as to what you can do but uh yeah it's it's been some of the most, it's been the highest highs and the scariest lows, the, the limited edition thing. And we've been fortunate that we have picked a spot each time that's that's kind of hit. But yeah, it doesn't always. And I, I certainly have watched many of friends that have picked a spot that didn't hit and it's hurt. So it's dangerous. And Andrew, on topic of the convergence of media into retail and retailers becoming media companies, were you reluctant to A, do collabs and selling them, which is a kind of different ballgame, than now literally setting up shop in the literal sense of the saying and becoming a retailer. Were you scared of doing it or do you think it's the only way to go? We also had this discussion with Ariel Adams of a blog to watch on this show because if I'm not mistaken, he's actually the only major watch-related outlet that doesn't sell actually watches. And what's your point of view on that? Rob, you said earlier something about the Andrew brand, right? The personality, the, the 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 vibe, as we would say. Anyone that's seen this movie, amazing comedy movie called The Castle will know what I mean when I say the vibe. And if you haven't watched The Castle, track it down. The greatest comedy ever made. Um, my vibe is I'm a sharer and I'm a communicator. And when I discovered a chord on the guitar that Bob Dylan uses in every single folk song, I can't even describe what it is, but it's like you make an A formation and then you add two fingers to that A formation 
and it's every single folk song ever. As soon as I discovered that, I just wanted to share it with everyone. All my guitarist friends, I was like, hey, check out this chord. It's, a, it's an amazing, this chord unlocks like every folk song ever. So that's me. That's my personality. So when I discovered Doxa at Basel and they'd done a sub 200, which was a ex- really accessible entry-level piece that was the build quality was good. I thought, wow, this is like, this is the best entry-level watch I've ever seen uh, from a brand that I just love. I just wanted to share it. So I said to them really naively and dumbly, I'm like, oh, hey, can I, can I like sell these watches in Australia? Because I, I'm going to be talking about them so much and I want my friends to have them. I want, I want to tell people to buy them because I think this is such a, a breakthrough. I think it was under a thousand US for this sub 200 and it was in blue and black and they had the one, 130th anniversary edition with an orange pop on the second hand and all of this. I was so excited and I, money hadn't even entered the equation on my mind. And then I went back to Australia and said to my CFO and business partner, hey, Luke, um, I want to share Doxa with Australia. He's like, what do you mean? He said, do you want, he said, you want to become a distributor? I'm like, oh, whatever you call it, like you and your fancy language. Uh, so we just started distributing Doxa. And it was a nightmare to arrange and it was expensive. And my CFO, again, just had to <laughs> – the poor guy. I'm forever saying, hey, I've got this idea. I want to do this. And he's like, dude, that's called – um, wholesaling watches you're a retailer now I'm like dude whatever with your fancy language I just want to let's do that so everything starts from a I know that the, the black and white question you're asking me is did I ever expect to or plan to or strategically want to become a retailer I think I've just done things so organically that they've taken that shape but the intention behind becoming a distributor of brands in Australia that no one else that, that Australians couldn't get was from a place of I just wanted to bring in Zodiac and and Fell and Mari and Studio Underdog and uh, on and on we go. Um, Norcane, I saw. Norcane. So, I think is, we yeah. have fifteen brands now, and they're all brands that I I just love. I genuinely just like Boulder. What a what an amazing entry level titanium watch that has a lot of modern tricks, you know, in terms of NATOs and colorways and just an awesome watch. You know, Studio Underdog, we, we don't even need to talk about it. But it's to, to be able to share those watches with Australians, it's just me sharing that guitar chord with my guitar friends. So, yes, I have become a retailer. Um, was I hesitant? No, because it completely aligns with the way I do my life. It's, when I just discover something good, I just want to share it. And in Australia, we had this unusual tyranny of distance nightmare and tyranny of distance paradise. <laughs> where I had no competition and I had no one else. There was the, the the sheer fact that we were so far from these brands that people are either going to buy them direct without having seen them or they can come to Time and Tide and try them on and buy them. So, yeah, that's the, it's a stupidly naive answer, but I haven't thought about any of these things, becoming a distributor, becoming a retailer, doing limited editions, uh, drop shipping brands from their location, all these different variations of retail we do. Even And when it comes to the Time and Tide Watch Discovery Studio, which is a, a flagship concept store for, for watch lovers, did I think about, oh, now we're going to become a, we're going to have like this huge physical flagship store. I was like, no, no, no. I want to have this hangout space, which is just cool and, and it's got great interiors and it's a place where the community can come and, and 
connect and it's also a place they can come and see watches they've never seen before every single day we're going to have new stuff for them to see so i'm just driven by this quite childlike energy and naivety and my poor cfo is the one that has to turn everything into reality and check whether anything everything's feasible and viable and and i just i'm just out here excited and feeding stuff back to my team and my absolutely amazing team is making this stuff actually happen and this is just a credit to them because I could not have made any of this happen. Aside from my momentum and energy, that's where my expertise stops at building a retailer. And where I'm getting these, um, these videos at the moment of the store coming together and I'm just freaking out going, how did you guys do that? Like that was exactly what I imagined. So it's pretty cool when you've got a team that can, that can actually materialize these sorts of fanciful flights that my mind is constantly going on. So it's hard work and it takes years, but equally I obviously have a great balance in our team because a lot of my ideas are are coming to fruition and, and that certainly would not be happening if I didn't have this big group behind me that believe in me. So I assume the team will grow because you are literally in a different continent now and you guys are taking on omni-channel, literally. <laughs> you and your fancy words. Along. <laughs> I learned them from you media guys. Robin, you are the journalist here. I'm just a wannabe podcaster. Yeah, I don't know. We are omni-channel now and the team will grow. The team is growing. We have uh, obviously Zach. We, we've always, it's been a, such a funny one, that question of growth and interna- internationalization because it was something, it was one of those gonna, wanna, shoulda, coulda done things for me. But at 2018, I was still in our strategy meeting saying, one day we're gonna, shoulda, coulda, woulda, we're gonna do it. And it was never happening. And then the pandemic happened and I had a gun to my head and it was like, dude, you are stuck in the most remote corner of the globe. That you are, you are further away physically from the Swiss watch industry than any other potentially person on the planet, unless I was in Tasmania, which is even more south. But I was so far from the industry that was my lifeblood and my only source of revenue that I suddenly was like madly putting people on internationally. So I put Zach on, I put uh, Mike Christensen on, and I put Zach Blass on in New York. I put Mike Christensen on, who was, uh, used to be GQ Australia. He became the UK editor of Time and Tide in a, in a stroke. So I suddenly just bang, bang, had two pins in the in the globe. And from there, it was it was just such a blessing that COVID forced me to do that um, because I was not I w- I'd be still sitting here going, "Hi guys, I'm Andrew from this niche Australian website," and about if time wouldn't have happened, and and I I would still just have a team of six in Australia instead of a team of like fourteen with most spread all over the place. So it's uh, it's been you didn't ask about COVID, but that was what led to the the biggest growth spurt ever and now we're sort of building in our region so we have the creative director who you know very well Alon because he's your your city mate uh, Marcus Flack our creative director of about Effing time and time and tide lives in Amsterdam and he's building a team of of editors and so on we have Zach in the states we have me in uh, in Europe and we have the the team at the flagship in Melbourne so it's uh, it's going to continue to grow, and hopefully, I can have a couple of buddies in in the UK over the next six months. But we've got hungry mouths, we've got hungry hungry offices because Australia is going to need sales assistance, and 
you know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting seeing how who gets the resources and who makes the best case for <laughs> the next, uh, you know, the next employee because, yeah, everyone's everyone's putting their hand up at this point and it'll be interesting to see which of the offices kind of grows at what speed. But certainly the flagship is where most of the staff are because we're, we're literally needing people just to be, you know, handsomely standing there as you walk into the shop looking for stuff. So what's next? Can you give us a scoop for time and tide? Ooh, a scoop. I've already given you one or two. Uh, hmm. Well, you're putting me on the spot, Alan. That's what he does. <laughs> he's one of the world's best podcasters now, you know. We've schooled him. <laughs> exactly. he's, uh, he's upped his game. He's asking, asking the tough questions. Well, we do have, I will say we do have our biggest collaboration release later in the year. Uh, and it is with a very recognizable, well-known brand. It's a it's a concept that I, it really excites me. Uh, in the same way that, like when you're saying, none of these moves into collaborations or retail or or e-commerce or anything has kind of been this cynical um, business strategy, quote unquote. It's just been an idea that I've got really excited about. And the next collaboration, because we're not doing Lots and lots of them. Uh, like I don't know how others can do so many because each one for me takes a huge amount of creative energy and and it needs to, for the integrity of the collaboration to be real, for the story to be just electric, it needs to be, to be real. It can't just be aesthetic variations. So the story for the next collaboration is just electric. It's, it's months and months away, but... I already, uh, and I'm flying to Switzerland on Thursday to go and look at the prototype and to to meet with the team about, uh, you know, again, a super interesting launch plan for it. So it isn't just a an email to subscribers saying, hey, this is launching on this date. The usual, I'm always, I don't get excited by doing things in a standard way. So we're doing, again, some some interesting stuff with this launch and I can't tell you any more than that, but it is, I can promise you that certainly in terms of price, it's probably 60% more expensive than any watch we've released before. So, it's at a much higher price point and uh, the concept is blessedly simple, but really, it's truly the first time this has happened with a collaboration. So, that's torturously it's kind of like a strip tease where i've just taken absolute i've probably put more things on um <laughs> <laughs> all right okay that is very exciting and of course i'm not going to try and put you on the spot and reveal which brand it is but i have a question on my list of things i wanted to ask you that is kind of relevant to this and that question is what brand if you could work with any brand in the world that you haven't yet collaborated with, would you like to work with? Now, I'd like to expand that question slightly in light of your previous revelation. Could you give me a list of at least 37 brands that you haven't worked with and you're not about to release a watch with that you would like to work with in the hope that we might be able to then triangulate our way towards the one that it is that you're about to release later this year? So go ahead, your top 37 (laughs) brands that you'd like to work with. (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's start at the top. So, A. Langenstern, and then let's go Anna Dane, and then, uh, no, I can't do alphabetic all the way through, but I would love to do <laughs> one with both those two, actually. That was just me being yeah, yeah. funny, but imagine that time it died longer. Or it, 
I think Anna Dane's great too, right? Like, that'd be really fun. Yeah, I mean, good luck. I mean, they're sold out until 2027. I've been talking to Lewis about this for years and we've worked on a model. We actually are still working on a completely new model together behind the scenes, but the demand for the core collection is so enormous. Yeah, it's just tapping It'll him be out. Sometime. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I mean, I'm sure at some point that'll happen because he's a great guy to work with and what they're doing is fantastic. And I could only imagine what you'd be able to come up with if if he set you loose on his collection. But okay, Anodane, Langer and Zerner, anyone else that you can throw out there? You don't have to name all 37. I literally was. I was literally doing alphabetical. I was going to go Angelus. No, I <laughs> I love Angelus Chronographs, actually. Mm. Uh, that's a hard question uh, in terms of which brands I'd most love to do a collaboration with. I mean... I'm pretty obsessed with the Elegante at the moment, as you probably saw on this. I don't know if you saw the three watch collection where I dropped that one. Everyone's just like, what the hell? Why would he choose that? Um, I, I'd like to do something with a progressive technology that has a, again, I love the, the aqua racer with the, the high performance um, solar quartz. Like I'm, I'm excited by a bit more than, cause the next release is just an aesthetic bombshell and that's great. But, I would love to do something that has a technology story. So maybe something along the lines of the 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 Aquaracer would be super cool because again you you're giving people a different value proposition. This is this is a you know a super long battery life. It's it its accuracy is unquestioned or, or something completely reliable. It it's using the power of the sun. So a lot of people who have ethics aligned with sustainable energy. So I would like to go in that direction with a collab with someone. That'd be really fun. Just to, and again, what it got me so excited about the Elegante is just this idea that that little rotor just sits there and when it's unmoved, it, it just turns everything off and, and provides you with a much longer battery life because it's, it's preserving energy and, and not tapping that battery all the time. So it's kind of got this nice feeling that when you put your watch down, it just goes to sleep like you do. I love that. So I found I find myself moved by technological, uh, you know, stories and advancements and innovations and progressions. So, yeah, that's a, a slightly ambiguous answer, but I would love to to be a part of a watch that had that kind of a story so that I can get even more lyrical in my waxing. As opposed to, isn't it beautiful? On topic of the collabs, I was wondering, what's your view on the trend of collabs? Or do you think that it will fizzle out or the bubble, the trend will bust? Or do you think we have still a long runway to go? Yeah, this is a sore point. I Not a sore point, but I do, I fear that we're in a bit of a coasting mode at the moment. We're in a bit of a, a lot of that sizzle because the watch industry were actually for once somewhat at a at a if not a forefront at a mid midpoint of of the zeitgeist of because it it will never cease to be exciting to put two unexpected things together and you don't need to look further than sneaker collaborations the most bizarre sneaker collaborations and i mean any, any unexpected duo is exciting it's it's kind of like a battering time. The, the reason it works is that we're all so bloody different, and there's energy that comes from. It's like an engine, right? An engine runs on explosions. It's controlled explosions. It's turning explosive reactions into power and and speed and momentum. So it will always be exciting to have collaborations. But like I said before, if they're just churned out, and the story doesn't move you, then 
you are you you're you're kind of ruining it for the for the ones that do have good stories so i'm concerned about the volume of collaborations and i'm concerned about the quality and the integrity of of collaborations in the watch industry and i'm concerned that perhaps it it, it is uh ruining it for for the collaborations that do have great uh, great reasons for being, but maybe it just makes them rise even faster to the top because they they are actually meaningful as opposed to just a a cash grab or a you know a financial motivation. I'm being I'm maybe being a little bit obtuse, but I am I've had a few moments in the last twelve months with some friends in the industry where we've sat back and gone, wow, there's this volume is of collaborations is making our one thing this year look like it's going to get swamped, um, but. If you believe in what you've done and if you can tell the story well, then hopefully it it does rise above. But in terms of the idea itself, like when I'm trying to think of some really strange sneaky collaborations or, or there's just been many really unusual ones, but that, that kinetic energy that comes from two molecules or atoms just exploding off each other that you never saw coming together, that will always be there. But we need to set and maintain a high bar for what those – those collaborations are or it's just like an endless inbox of announcing this announcing this and you're looking at it going why would this why would these two work together like what what is the meaningful contribution or what is the where is the kinetic excitement out of this brand and this brand it it just feels like another another financial business plan so does that answer your question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of a rant, but a little bit veiled. It's certainly a complicated question to try and answer succinctly, but I think you touched upon a lot of the points that we've discussed ad nauseum ourselves. And talking about some odd, sneaky collaborations, there was one in my area recently, and I live in Dresden, as you probably know, near Glasseter, and just down the road from my office is a place called Meissen, and it's very famous for its porcelain. And Adidas uh, teamed up with Meissen to produce like a limited edition run of trainers, Two major German brands, very popular. They sold out in a heartbeat. Of course they would, but I took a step back and thought, well, this is a bit contrived perhaps because surely you don't believe that there's a crossover in the demographics and the target demographics of Adidas and Meissen. It's just putting two absolute oddballs together and everybody just going nuts because it's so, so weird. And without that story, to me, it felt a bit hollow. But like you said, if there is a story, then are we... Are we ever going to be at a point where there's too many stories to be told? I think if a story's good and if it's genuine. Yeah, and it's just, does it excite you to think about, I don't know, I'm just trying to think here, but like, it's like, again, I come back to sporting metaphors. You take someone from this team and someone from that team that have never worked together, never played together, and, and suddenly they're on the same team or they're together. And it, it just, it's it's just everybody's endless fantasy of, of taking unexpected things, I think. And well, not every, I can't speak for everyone, but I certainly, I look, Great collaborations will always tear us a new one. We'll always be super excited. But it's just poor ones, I think. There's just a morass. The word is there's a morass of, of collaborations now that are completely like we don't cover them on time and tide most of the time anymore because it's like no one's excited. There's there's nothing unexpected about this. And we're just getting dial variations or yeah. a, a, a sort of a and I think even obviously Grand Seiko is if you were to say who's the biggest most successful contender brand of the last 10 years, Grand Seiko is 100% the answer. Grand Seiko has completely shook the Swiss watch industry. However, 
even they with their if you talk about the integrity and the meaningfulness of story the stories about their bloody nature editions is everyone's exhausted and and it doesn't it's no longer like we loved white birch we loved snowflake we were on board we were like we're hanging in here this is great this is turning into a bit of a a david attenborough box set but we're getting there this is and then now it's at a point where it's just like we just can't even (laughs) we can't and and that's the i suppose it all just comes down to to how much integrity the story has how much it moves people and and I continue to believe 150% in exciting collaborations, but you need to bring it. You need to have spent some brain power on this. Like, and I'm telling you guys, our next collaboration is just like it's it's just instantly just oh wow, that's never happened before. So yeah, I, I don't want to set too high a bar, but I'm pretty comfortable that our next one has a fucking ripping story. <laughs> excellent excellent stuff okay i'm gonna ask you one more question and it slightly pertains to what we were talking about before about your interest in new technology as well as traditional watchmaking because of course as one of the major figures in the watch media landscape the assumption may be that you're all about the mechanical but you are interested you said in being on the cutting edge of newness so that sort of changes one's perspective of what watchmaking is to you personally what is it that excites you about watches if it's not just the handcraft if it's not just the tradition what is it that really gets you going when you look at your wrist i asked this question to so many people and i, I dread being asked it to me soz <laughs> no you're not sorry that's a sorry not sorry uh, <laughs> i want you guys to answer it as well i'll answer it if you do because I'm, I'm just bound to ramble here i'll try to keep it tight but but it does change for me every day but to me what interests me the most about watches is what the hell are they still doing on our wrists when they're basically unchanged 17th century technology? There is there is nothing I've found equivalent in modern life that has survived all of these onslaughts of technology, digital life, all of the device categories just endlessly evolving. Why has this 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 ridiculous thing that mostly powers itself as a self-winding watch or that is powered by you. Why is it still around? What is this bloody thing's secret? So my answer to that, after asking that question to countless people, is that it's an identity piece. What interests me most about watches, the watches people choose, my wife's a psychiatrist uh, and I married a psychiatrist because I'm, I'm just endlessly gravitating to things that have deeper meanings and that like to to I love deconstructing things trying to understand the why of everything and my why of watches is that I think we love watches because they are an identity statement for all of us and I'm always curious about what watches I'm wanting and what that says about what I need for myself I'm always interested at looking at what watches my friends buy and what it says about where they're at with their identities and I love creating identity possibilities for people when I talk about watches, write about watches, do videos about watches. I love that part of it. I, that I have, don't care about the, the technology. I think it's amazing. I think the craftsmanship is, frequently blows my mind. I, fa- I think the fact that there are still artisans that can do this stuff is, is preposterous and, and absurd and brilliant. I love that they're beautiful 
fussed over things that are meant to last generations and there's nothing else that's made to last generations anymore. There's lots of things I love, but the biggest thing that draws me back to watches over and over again is that it's a deep statement that I can then unpack. And whether that's about myself or about someone else, it's always the most interesting question. Hey, tell me about your watch. It's potentially as good a question as tell me about your mother. <laughs> and But it, you, you get to ask it. You're allowed to ask it. So that's my connection to watches. I, I don't really care about – so like it, it's, it's true. Look at Time and Tide and about effing time. I'm just as excited about micro brands that cost – 200 US dollars as I am about a Grandmaster Chime. To me, it doesn't, they're, they're the same thing. They're an identity statement. So that's my thing about watches. And that's why I'm so democratic in the way, in my love for watches. Like one minute I'm doing a thing saying, hey, everyone, go and buy a boulder. And the next one I'm, I'm at AP choosing between, you know, a ceramic QP or a, like I'm, I'm into all the levels because what appeals to me is always the same, which is that. They say something about us, and I'm curious, always. I think you nailed that answer. I'm impressed. I mean, like you say, it's a horrible question to be asked, but um, you've, do- you've certainly given us an answer that we can get on board with, yeah. So tell me, what are you guys wearing, and, and what, is, what does that say about you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more comfortable being the interviewer, so let's do this. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Well, right now I'm actually wearing very little because I'm one of those like complaining uh, Brits that thinks it's too hot in Dresden, so I'm basically just here. In I a- didn't ask about your clothes, mate. Okay, well, oh, I thought you might like to know, but that's fine. Or lack right. of. I'm going to be professional. <laughs> uh, I actually have my Lavender Sumarine uh, bronze case black dial on today. Oh, it's yeah. got an FKM rubber strap, Lavender. and I love it. Yeah, gorgeous Lavender. watch. Let's talk about Lavender. To answer your question, or let's let's have another podcast to talk about Lavender. That would be an hour-long chat for sure. But yeah. um, I have a bit of a morbid answer, actually. I'm not going to end on a down note because Alan will give us his answer, and I'm sure it'll be much more cheerful than mine. But I actually see a watch almost as a memento mori you know like a reminder of our mortality and i found it greatly ironic almost that i've dedicated my life to tracking uh, the one thing that we don't have enough of and that's time of course through these beautiful objects that combine all of the things i love about human endeavor i suppose like managing to ring natural materials into this beautiful form and a fusion of art and science and just experimentation adventure pushing boundaries of possibility being creative within a restricted canvas i think i love so much you know there are so few things you can really change about a watch for it still to be a watch and still be functional and yet there's so much variety and diversity and personality as as you mentioned in watches around the world there's oftentimes something to get excited about everything i mean to be honest i feel similarly about people i'm very excited by people and i think that there's good things about almost everybody and uh, even i have one or two redeeming features they don't often come to the surface but i didn't discover them today we'll keep trying we'll do another episode <laughs> okay okay we can have a part two but yeah, it's probably not gonna get any better um i i really do feel like that i have this box of ticking reminders of what time is and how important it is and how one should spend it wisely. And uh, that's it. I'll, I won't say any more and I'll let Alon give us his repost and then I'm going to wrap up the show. Thank you, Rob. It wasn't that morbid. You actually reminded me of Rebecca Strutter's right. book, Hands of Time, which I'm halfway through it right now. And she was also uh, pulled to that aspect. Um, I'm going to keep it short because we need to wrap it under an hour and it's 
always, always, always a pleasure to talk to you, Andrew. It it it, it can go from very shallow to very, very deep and philosophical. <laughs> and we didn't touch upon music. We oh, didn't talk about love. working out because you motivate me love. as a father. But also your thirty minute tips. Actually, twenty nine forty. Twenty nine forty. So shave that 20%, 20 seconds off. Yeah. I read them. I watch them. I don't do them enough. So Rob and I wanted to ask you about abs. Um, I would love you to have you back on. <laughs> so I'm rocking a Le Bois & Co. Heritage Chronograph as a test run because we're going to do a collab <laughs> with a good story, with a good story because... Yeah, no, but I'm I'm with you 100%. It's all about stories. So watches, I am 100% with you also about it underlines someone's identity, its characters, its mood. It's it's a art piece. It's mechanical art. Uh, it's innovation. Now it became relevant in the sustainability aspect of things. So I look at that, and there are also time capsules. They tell they tell a story, and usually people buy a watch related to a life event or an occasion in their lives. And 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 if you preserve them well, they can become antique. But um, I guess for part two, we would be very honored <laughs> if you come back on, Andrew. My pleasure. You, we didn't get onto my favorite topic. So yeah, wow. That's uh, well done to both of you for keeping me off the two things I bloody yammer on about the most. <laughs> but they were great answers and you guys should talk more you should have i feel like i dominated too much or i feel like I, I spoke too much i guess i'm the guest which is always a bit weird but um uh, those they were great answers and yeah i think you should use them for the promo for this episode <laughs> absolutely we will you never know. i mean you can come back on and interview us if you want a guest host on the real time show that's a you can put it on your linkedin as well if you want i mean no big deal but yeah. sure no that that's more my natural game but no today's been really fun and and hey I think you uh, good answers only come from great questions. So I feel like they were you pushed me to some interesting places today, and I, I loved it. Thank you, Andrew. Well, thanks for your candor. It really does mean a lot for us and also for our listeners, and that's why they listen to the Real Time Show. If you would like to get involved in the Real Time Show, you can do so in several ways. You can join the Real Time Network, which is our WhatsApp community. If you want to join, just send us a message via one of the usual channels, either on Instagram, that's at Rob Nudds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, or at Alan Ben-Joseph, A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H, or you can contact us via email, either Rob or Alan at therealtime.show, or via the contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.